You're listening to the Talking Rheumatology podcast, brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology. Good day. Um, my name is Mohan Bukhari. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Rheumatology, and uh, today we'll be talking about the GALT guidelines, and I've got two of the authors with me today um, who are going to introduce themselves, and then we'll start a discussion about the guidelines and GALT in general. So, uh, ladies first. So. Hi, Marwan. I'm Kelsey Jordan. I'm a NHS rheumatologist in Brighton and helped with the uh, BSR guidelines and also the NICE guidelines. And I'm Ed Roddy, and I'm a professor of rheumatology at Keele University and a consultant rheumatologist in Stoke-on-Trent. And like Kelsey, I was involved, involved in both the NICE and BSR GAU guidelines. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. I mean, why is there a need for guidelines in GAU? Well, I think, Marwan, despite the numerous societal guidelines that we have, so the ULAR guidelines, BSR guidelines, ACR guidelines there's still quite poor uptake of use of urate-lowering therapies and um, moving towards a treat-to-target principle. And we know that only a third of patients in primary care are treated with urate-lowering treatments. Although we have guidelines, um, the NICE guidance can reach a wider audience um, are easily available online, online and there's an emphasis on lifestyle modifications not being the primary focus and more about pharmacological modification. So do you think that there's a more practical need rather than just looking at things? So maybe it's an implementation issue rather than a guideline issue? Yes, I think it, it reaches a broader um, a group of people, so lay people and also commissioners. And having nice guidance gives a little bit more weight to the guidance generally. So nice accreditation to the existing guideline will be Absolutely. a good idea. Okay. So what's new? Is there anything new in gout? I mean, a lot of people will say uric acid, lower it, you treat the disease. So... So the NICE guidance was published in June 2022 and this is providing evidence-based recommendations for both diagnosis and the management of gout Um, and um, they're freely available to patients, health professionals, commissioning bodies and give clear guidance on diagnosis and management. Okay, so I still ask the question, is there anything that's novel in gout that you would like to emphasise? So if we compare the NICE guidance with the BSR guidance, um, we now um, can use for baxostatin allopurinol as equal weighting first line, and that's because looking at the cost-effectiveness studies um, with NICE's robust methodology that they use, we know that there's um, clinical and cost effectiveness for both allopurinol and for buxostatus first line. Um, the NICE guidance has brought the target serum urate into line with both the ULAR and ACR guidelines. And the treat, treat um, to target um, approach has been more strongly advocated advocated. There's also much more emphasis on patient empowerment um, and discussion about use of urate lowering treatments at diagnosis and also follow-up for patients longer term with annual assessment of urate. 
So do you think that that's the difference between this guidance um, and the existing ULR and, and ACR guidance? Do you think that they're too generic and this one is much more specific? Think, yes, and I think it's more targeted to patients and layperson. The recommendations um, are uh, broader and easier to read. Okay, so if let's say we, f- we actually followed these guidelines, do you think that there's going to be a difference in outcomes? Well, of course, I hope so, and I'm almost duty-bound to say that. But I I guess the guidelines provide a framework, really, that can potentially be audited using existing tools, such as the audit tool within the BSR GAUT guideline. Um, But so much of GAUT management is about information provision and the quality of information and education that's provided and how they are provided. And, of course, they're very difficult to to measure or audit. But in general, we need a paradigm shift that moves away, as Kelsey said earlier, from viewing gout as a self-inflicted condition that people bring on themselves because of their lifestyle habits. And there's also a need to move away from a focus on management of inflammatory manifestations of gout and focus on urate-lowering therapy. So we know from the British Society for Rheumatology Gout Audit, which we undertook in 2013-14, that the single aspect of gout management which rheumatologists were most compliant with was providing anti-inflammatory prophylaxis. So 94% of ULT prescriptions were accompanied by prophylaxis, but only 45% of people had achieved a target serum urate level after 12 months after seeing a rheumatologist. And the way to improve outcomes is to ensure that treat-to-target ULT is implemented in all people with gout. So let's argue it the other way around. I mean, did the fact that not a lot of people achieve this serum uric acid target, uh, did it equate to a worse outcome? Did people have worse damage? Do we have that information in the public? Well, we didn't assess that in the audit, but I guess we know from randomised controlled trials that... um, Treat-to-target urate-lowering therapy brings about improvements in uh, flare rates, in TOFI, and in quality of life, and is also highly cost-effective. And we also know from various studies that have been done over the years in both primary and secondary care that many people with gout have uncontrolled urate levels and still have frequent ongoing flares, still have TOFI, so their disease is effectively uncontrolled when there is cheap and readily available and effective treatment available. So, uh, do you see, you know, would this equate to the fact, do we have any gaps then in the knowledge that we've got about GAT? Because this is probably where a lot of clinicians will be being quite simplistic about it, to say, well, get the uric acid below a certain level, it's, the job's done, but they depend on somebody else to do it. So is there a gap in knowledge that we need to communicate? So there are, there are certainly some gaps in, in knowledge. I mean, over the last 10 years, we've seen important advances in providing evidence for treat-to-target urate-lowering therapy. Um, we've got evidence now about the safety of fibuxostat in people with cardiovascular disease, and we've also got evidence about the utility of different imaging modalities such as ultrasound and DECT. I think the two important gaps, one is around what is the optimal target serum urate level. Kelsey's alluded to the fact that the NICE guidance brings the target in the UK in line with ULAR and ACR guidelines to be below 
360 micromoles per litre rather than the old target in the BSR guideline of below 300 micromoles per litre. So providing the evidence for which target is best is needed. And I think the other key area which is very relevant to rheumatologists is improving the evidence for gout management strategies in people with chronic kidney disease being as chronic kidney disease is of course very common in people with gout and poses significant uh, challenges for management in terms of choice and, and dosing of drugs. Okay, so just a question to both of you to end with. If you were to summarise the guidelines in just one sentence to somebody um, next to you at, 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 a, at a meeting, what would you say? So I think I would say that the guideline provides clear evidence-based but expert opinion informed guidance across all aspects of gout management that will hopefully improve the care of gout in the future. Okay, Elsie, do you have anything to add to that? I think that they're also very easy for lay people to read and non-clinical professionals. Well, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Rheumatology, brought to you by BSR. Please do rate, share and subscribe through your favourite podcast app.